Well, hey guys, welcome to Downtown Harbor Church. If it's your first time here, my name is John. I'm the lead pastor. On the way out, Adam goes to me, man, I really nailed those announcements. I'm not sure. Jury's still out on that one, Adam. So here's the thing. Christmas season, I love it. It is absolutely my favorite time of year. I think also because my birthday is in this month. So for me, it's just like, you know, growing up, it was just like lots of presents all at once, and it's fantastic. And I love the music. We play it constantly in my house. It's kind of like a department store. I listen to it on the way to the gym. It's just like, I can't get enough of it. I literally cannot get enough of it. And I was talking about this morning. I don't know if you've noticed, but it looks like they have wised up and have officially taken the Christmas shoes song off the air, one of the worst Christmas songs ever written. I haven't heard it now for two or three years. I think they realized this was a horrible idea. Let's just remove this from the face of the earth. Um, but so we were talking about what we're going to be doing during this Christmas season when we came up with this idea of the same old thing. And I was thinking about the fact that there's only one Christmas story. And it's actually pretty short. And it's a story that we do every single year. Every church in America and in this world in the month of December for the next four weeks are going to be talking about this Christmas story. And I was saying to myself, you know, every year we try to come up with something new and, and some kind of something fresh and with this story that we've all heard a million times. And, and I think if we're being honest, I think we've actually allowed the story to go a little bit stale. I think there's a lot of excitement about the Christmas season itself and all the activities and all the gifts and all that kind of thing. But when it comes to the actual Christmas story, we're just not as excited about it. it it's almost like we know the story by heart. Heard it a million times, right? Baby in a manger, wise men, yep, I get it. Let's get to the gift, that kind of a thing. But, but it's almost like we're on autopilot when December comes at church. And I was saying to myself, you know, it doesn't always have to be the same old thing. And I was saying, what if we just this month, just for the next four weeks, hit the pause button, tap the brakes and say, you know what? Yeah, we know the story and we know it well. But for this season, let's just stop and pause and try to go back and hear this story perhaps for the first time. What would it be like to hear these things for the first time? What would it be like to maybe relearn some of the truths that we have forgotten over the course of our lives? And so over the next couple of weeks, what I'm looking to do is just touch on a couple of the main characters in the Christmas story to find out who they are, what's going on in their lives, how do they impact this whole story, and because it's DHC, what practically can we learn from what's going on in their lives? So today, I want to talk about somebody who doesn't really get a lot of airtime in a lot of Protestant churches. It's, I want to talk about Mary, the Virgin Mary. Now, our Catholic friends, they talk about her a lot. I mean, they know a lot about her. She is a, a pillar of their faith, but this is something that we don't really talk a lot about. So I thought, let's just start with her. Let's see what we can learn about her. And when it comes to the Virgin Mary, I think we all kind of have an idea of what she looks like. This is the old statue you see, typical sort of blue whatever that is scarf, you know, kimono kind of a thing. And, and here's the thing. We, we don't even know if this is what she looks like. This is kind of what artists have told her she looks like. But here's what I know, because I'm from New Jersey. I'm an Italian from North Jersey, right out the city. Italian people love this statue. You can go down particular neighborhoods in North Jersey, and every single house has this statue in their front yard. If you live up there, you know what I'm talking about. And it's always like up in their garden, kind of right by where their house is. And for some reason, there's like white stones around it. I don't know what the white stones are about, but they love the Virgin Mary. You can spot an Italian's house based on how big that statue is. But when you look at this picture, it's, this, is, you know, this is her later in life. 
And I think what we want to do today is we got to go back to the beginning. We got to go back to the beginning of Christmas to find out what she was like when she first came on the scene. So today we're going to be in Luke 1. If you have your Bibles, you can open up. Um, if not, you can read on the screen. I don't know why you'd open up your own Bible. It's right here. You can just follow along. It's way easier. But throughout the day, we're going to be going through verses 26 through 38. So here's what it says. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. Now, you're probably asking yourself, who is Elizabeth? I mean, I don't know who that is. I can't remember. Well, the reason you don't know is because I skipped the first 26 verses. So Elizabeth is Mary's let's call it very elderly aunt. She's in her 80s, in her 90s, she's very old. Now, six months earlier, Gabriel, this same angel that we're reading about here, goes to her and says, hey, Elizabeth, you and your husband, and I know you're very old, but you're going to have a kid, and it's going to be a boy, and when he comes, you are going to name him John, and this John will end up growing to be the person that we know as John the Baptist. So it continues on. It says she, and this is now talking about Mary, she was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. So we actually learned quite a bit about Mary just from this one little line alone. We know a couple of things. We can, we can tell roughly how old she was. So 2,000 years ago in this ancient Jewish tradition in this part of the world, it was normal for a girl to be about 12 years old when she was engaged to be married. Theologians say they could be anywhere from 12 to 19, but the vast majority were about 12 years old. And, and I feel like when we hear this story, that's something we don't picture. You know, we think Mary, we think 25, 26, 27. We're not thinking of a middle schooler. But that is who we're dealing with here. Now, the other thing is when we're talking about this engagement, it's slightly different than how our engagements work. So for them, when they were engaged, and they would use the term betrothed or pledged to be married, Mary and Joseph at this point actually would have been technically husband and wife. And the difference is, at this point, they wouldn't live together. They would live in separate homes with their parents, and they wouldn't consummate the marriage physically until the wedding feast, which is about six months to 12 months down the road. Now, many of us are married in this room. Some of us are recently married. Some of us are engaged to be married. Okay, and, and, and if you remember back to this time when you were engaged. You knew it was like an exciting time. It's stressful, right? Right before the marriage, it's very stressful, but it's exciting. And, and Mary is in this point in her life where she is dreaming about the future. She, she's, she's sitting there, and I can just picture her talking to Joseph, and she's saying, you know, the wedding is going to be great. I just, you know, I think we should use that venue that's down by the river, the really pretty one that, that our friend, you know, Margaret got married at. That's a great place. And, and, and I've got a great caterer that we're going to use. And I'm just thinking about the dress right now. And all the girls, they're wearing kind of the lace sleeves, and I think that's kind of what I want to go for. And I think I want to have natural makeup. I don't know. I'm just thinking about it. And Joseph, what do you think? Should we do like the hair up or down? And Joseph's over there in the corner just wanting to kill himself because he really doesn't care at all. But she's just so excited. And she goes, and when we get married, we should honeymoon in Italy. We should do the Amalfi Coast. Or maybe we'll go to northern Italy. I don't really know the whole place. It's so beautiful. And then when we get back, Joseph, did you see at that house in the corner that we like with the white picket fence? It's for sale. We should buy that. And we can get a yellow lab. Oh, and we can name it Tucker because that's what you name yellow labs. It's the only name you can give them. And we can have two kids, right? We can have a boy. We can have a girl. We can name the girl I don't know, Salome or Sarah and the boy, we can name it Moses or, or Abraham or something like that, and it's going to be great. 
and I'm going to be a stay-at-home mom. It's going to be so wonderful. And Joseph, you are going to be the greatest dad. I just know it. We're so excited. You've all been there. You know what I'm talking about. We're all predicting our future. We're all telling it how it's going to be. And here's the deal. Whatever your future looks like, here's what I can tell you. Whatever your plans look like, they're safe, they're predictable, and they're ours. We've laid out our whole lives, exactly how things are going to play out. And, and even if you think you're adventurous, let me just tell you something. Your plans are very safe. All of our plans are safe. They're very predictable. And we're in control. We, that's why we plan. We want to be in control of our lives and how things unfold and how things are going to be. This makes us very comfortable. And then life throws you a curveball. Something happens you didn't predict. Something happens you didn't plan for. Something that wasn't on your agenda, that wasn't on the docket, something that you would never expected to happen, someplace you never expected to be, and all of a sudden you're just trying to figure things out. And that's Mary in this moment. She's living her best life, loving life, thinking about the future, when all of a sudden God shows up out of nowhere in the form of an angel, Gabriel. Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. He's kind of like, hey, how you doing? Got some great news for you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think of what the angel could mean. So I think when Luke is saying she's confused and disturbed, I think this is actually probably an understatement. I think she's freaked out. I, th I think she's freaked out because what we forget, because we've heard this story so many times, it's the same old thing, but we forget that Mary is going through something supernatural. She's got an angel right there in front of her. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time have you spoken with an angel? Never. Now, picture you're 12 and an angel shows up out of nowhere. You could be 40 or 80. You are never going to be ready for an angel just to pop out of nowhere and start talking to you. Now, he also describes her reaction as being disturbed. Why do you think that is? Well, here's the thing about angels. I think we kind of picture an angel as like a very nice-looking guy or a very pretty-looking woman, and they kind of have these flowing robes, and there's a harp, and there's some wings, or maybe it's like a chubby little baby with a bow and arrow. But the reality is that that is not how the Scripture paints an angel. Angels are good, but the Scripture paints an angel as huge and, and imposing and warrior-like and, and otherworldly-looking. And, and time and time again, Throughout the scriptures, whenever an angel appears to a man or a woman, the man or the woman freaks out. They're afraid. And it's no different here, right? He shows up and he goes, don't be afraid, Mary. He's like, Shh, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's fine, it's fine. Because I picture her like panicking. It's kind of like, and we all live in South Florida, it's like, kind of like when you wake up in the morning and you throw the lights on as a cockroach in the middle of your kitchen and you start screaming. You know what it's like and you're just not ready for this. And she, kind of, you know, she finally relaxes, and she catches her breath, and then Gabriel doesn't make a beat, and he just gets right into it. He goes, hey, listen, so here's the deal. For you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. Continues. He'll be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor, David. And he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. This was not the news she was expecting. She was not prepared for this. Fifteen minutes ago, she was talking about an updo and her wedding, and now all of a sudden there's an angel standing in her midst and saying, hey, here's the deal. You're going to be pregnant. 
You're going to be a virgin. You're going to name this kid Jesus, and he's going to be like the prince of the universe. That's a big meatball to drop into the lap of a 12-year-old. That's a lot of news for anybody to take in. And in this moment, Mary has got to figure something out. And it's something that we have to talk about, and it's something that we are going to have to figure out in our lives time and time and time again. What do you do when God interrupts your plans? What do you do when, 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 when you're living your life and, and you're following your own plans and all of a sudden things change? Something occurs in your life that you didn't predict. You find yourself in a place that you never thought you would ever be in. How do you respond? What do you, what do you make of that? So the first thing that we have to learn is that when God shows up, okay, his plans disrupt and disturb. When he comes into your life, you need to understand that he is going to be changing some things around. Because, and the scripture is clear about this, he has a massive plan for our lives. He has an absolutely massive plan for our lives. And it's way bigger than your plan. It's way more encompassing than your plan. And it's way bigger than just who you're going to marry, what job you're going to have, where you're going to live. It's way bigger than all that. Because he is looking to transform you from the inside out. He's looking to change your very character. He's looking to change your very nature. The scripture is clear that he is looking to make you more and more like Jesus. And he's got to step into your life and he's got to shake things around and he's got to change your plans. He's got to put you in places you would never put yourself because as we mentioned, our plans are safe. You heard the phrase, you got to play to your strengths. And that's great in your job, but we create our whole life plan by that. We're going to play to our strengths. We're going to keep it safe because we know there are things that we're good at, and we know that we have weaknesses. And I'm going to set my life plan and all my goals to avoid these weaknesses. And the problem with weaknesses is that if you leave them alone, they get worse, and they get worse, and they get worse. And God says, no, I got more for your life. I want more for you. And so what he's got to do is he's got to throw things at you. He's got to put you in situations that you never would put yourself so that you grow and you become to the person that he wanted you to be. Now, when he comes into your life, he wants us to recognize something else. He wants us to recognize that our plans actually bring more glory to us than God. This is true. Our plans, when you think about it, actually bring us more glory than God. Think about your life plan for a second. And they're all different, but they're all basically the same. We say, all right, you know, I'm going to get this job. I'm going to work really hard. I'm going to get this promotion. And when I get this promotion, I'm going to get the raise. And when I get the raise, I can get the house. And when I get the house, I can, you know, I can get the loan. And then I can get the boat in the back. And then I'm going to get the bigger boat in the back. And then I'm going to start traveling the world. And I'm going to see everything. And by the way, I'm working on my retirement. And I want to retire when I'm 60. And I'm going to move to California. And it's going to be great. By and large, everybody's plan basically kind of looks the same. It's all about you. I mean, think about your life plan. It's all about you and your happiness and your goals. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but God comes into your life and he goes, look, listen, here's the deal. I got to shake things up because I got to shift your focus. I got to get you thinking about other people and I got to get you thinking about me. Now, when we start thinking about our plans versus God's plans and our will versus God's will, I think we start getting a little nervous. If I'm being honest with her, and I don't think we ever would admit this out loud, but I'll admit this, 
I actually think we're afraid of God's plans. I think even if you've been a lifelong Christian and you trust Jesus and, and you trust God, I actually think deep down in your heart of hearts, you're a little bit afraid of what God wants to do in your life. And I was thinking about this week, and I go, well, well, I mean, if we love God, why, why is there this little bit of fear, this trepidation? What is going on here? I actually think the enemy has tricked us. I think the enemy has lied and has whispered into our ears that, yeah, you love God, but his plan for your life, it's not the best plan. His plan for your life isn't going to make you as happy as your own plan. And I think if you start to hear that and you start to believe that and you let that seed of mistrust get planted in your heart and you start thinking about it more and more and more, you begin to get into this, this what I will call this stage where you start asking the what ifs. Where you look at where your life is and, and what's going on and you start thinking about God's plan for your life and you go, well, what if, what if God never wants me to get pregnant? What if God never wants me to find a spouse? What if God wants me to get sick? What if God never wants me to find a job ever again? What if God makes me move to a different part of the country where I know no one, I'm never going to make friends, I'm going to die alone? What, what, what if God wants this for my life? Well, what God is that? Where did you learn this about God? First of all, half the things that we attribute to God are just happenstance because of the world that we live in. But let's just say for, for argument's sake, Let's say he makes those dreams come true for you, those worst dreams. Let's say that is his plan for your life. Don't you think he knows what he's doing? If he brought you to it, don't you think he can get you through it? But we don't trust God. We, 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 don't, we don't trust him. But let's say you get to a place in your life where you start to, I'll call it, accept the disruption. You accept that God is perhaps wanting to do something in your life. It looks as though he's changing the direction of your life, the course of your life, and you start saying to yourself, all right, let me think about this. Let me think about God's plan for a moment. And you start doing the math. How's this going to work out? And the more you think about God's plan, the more you, you start thinking, well, this, this doesn't add up. His plan it doesn't make sense. I don't understand why he would put me here. I don't understand what's going on. His plan doesn't add up. Mary, in this moment with Gabriel, she's in the exact same position. She goes to him, she goes, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. This doesn't make sense. I know you told me this is from God, but his plan doesn't make sense. The math doesn't add up. What you're telling me this can't possibly be. So Gabriel says, all right, let me, let me try to walk you through this virgin birth thing for a second, just to kind of give you a little bit of clarity. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. And I imagine Mary hears this and goes, thanks, that really clears it up. Appreciate it. Way crystal clear now, Gabriel. That makes a lot of sense. And I think Gabriel kind of says, oh, okay, listen, I understand, okay? God, this is a confusing plan. You, we're not going to always understand what God is doing in our lives, but he goes, but, but Mary, here's the deal. This virgin birth is incredibly important. Your, your, your people, your Jewish people, have been looking for this for generations. Isaiah, the great prophet, 700 years before this conversation took place, said this, the Lord himself will give you a sign, speaking of the coming Messiah. The virgin will conceive 
and give birth to a son, and he will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And what Gabriel's saying, he goes, look, listen, I understand, Mary, that you had a plan for your life. I understand you had a feeling of what was going to be happening and what life was going to look like. And I understand that me coming here today and these events and God's plan, I understand that it looks random and out of control. I understand that the math for you doesn't work out, but I am telling you this. I am telling you that God has been planning this from the beginning of time. Since the creation of this world, Mary, he had you in mind. He had this birth in mind. None of this is random. All of this has been planned out. And based on what I read in the scripture, here's what I believe. I think God has put an equal amount of time into his plan for your life. I think this is true. He knows you. He knows your name. Scripture says he knows the amount of hairs on your head. He knows what you've been through. He knows what you're going through. And he knows exactly what you need to go through to be the person he needs you to be. So Gabriel is telling us, and we just, you don't have to do the math. That plan looks confusing. You don't have to do all the calculations. All you have to do is trust. Now, on the flip side of things, what happens when you say no to God's plan? Is that possible? Can you do that? Yeah, you can. Now, something's happened in life that you can't say no to. Something's just happened and you were forced to go through it. But there are times when God gives us options, when we can say yes or we can say no, and God has given you free will, so you can say no. Now, here's the thing you have to understand. When you say no to God, you are not going to be struck by lightning. It's just not going to happen. Okay, you can choose your own path in this world, but what is interesting and what you have to understand is that if you decide not to go God's way, if you decide to go your own way and follow your own path in spite of the signs that God has given you, you need to realize that you are now on a path without God. And that's a, maybe a dangerous place to be in. Now, don't misunderstand me. The scripture is clear. God said he'll never leave you nor forsake you. But it is possible to live in a world that is outside the will of God. David, who we spoke about in June, I think, if my memory serves me correctly, and Jesus is in the line of David. David was talking about this in Psalms where he says, here's what happens when you decide to live your own life apart from God, when you decide to follow your own path and not God's path. He goes like this. He says, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. He goes, guys, listen, if you try to do your own thing, that's okay. You can do that, but you need to understand you're just spinning your tires. If God's not involved in your life's plan, you are wasting your time. And he's saying it's not that there's nothing going to get accomplished. You're going to still build a house. You're going to still do things in your life. But if God's not involved... What's the purpose? What's the point of it all? See, I think the main reason we say no to God's plan is because we think our plan is safer. We understand it, and it's predictable, and it's ours. But if you hear nothing today, hear this. I think the safest place in the world for you to be is firmly inside and planted in God's will and God's plan for your life. David wrote another psalm, and it's perhaps one of the most famous pieces of scripture and perhaps one of the most famous pieces of literature, and it's Psalm 23. 
whether you're a church person or not, you've heard this at some point in your life. I want to read it for you guys. And, and as we read it today, I want you to begin putting yourself in this psalm. And I want you to begin to think about what it looks like when God gives you a plan for your life and what it looks like when you choose your own plan. And how do we, how do we think about all this? He says this, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He goes, guys, I, I, I'm nothing but a sheep. God is my shepherd. He is watching me. He is in control of my life. He's making sure I've got everything that I need, and he's making sure that I am safe. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. I think that's really interesting because he's saying, it's not the green pastures that refresh my soul. It's not the quiet waters that refresh my soul. It's God's presence in my life. He is the one who refreshes my soul. And I think for us, it's kind of like, it's not the job that's going to bring you peace. It's not the traveling that's going to give you peace. It's not your retirement account that's going to give you peace as you look into the future. It's God's presence in your life and the path that he puts you on. He continues. He guides me along right paths for his namesake. He goes, wherever I go in this life, here's the deal. I'm following God's route. Wherever God wants me to go, that's the right path. That's the one I'm going to take. He's the one I'm going to follow. And what's interesting is that he goes, this path, the road that I'm on in my life, it's all for God's sake. It's all for his glory. Everything I do, everything I'm a part of, it's for God. Now, we're the beneficiary of this plan. But our life plan, according to God, it's all for him. And he wraps up and says this. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In life, God's going to put me down some roads sometime that are dark, that are scary. I don't understand why I'm here. I don't know what he's doing right now because it just, it doesn't make sense but he's in charge. And I know that he will take care of me and he will keep me safe. So when Mary is having this conversation with Gabriel, I think she's, she's hearing this plan for her life and it's so different than her own. And she's hearing all these things that God wants to do and I just think for her, this is a dark valley. It doesn't make sense. It's not something she would have chosen for her life. There are far too many risks. But she knows God. She knows his character. She knows that he will take care of all the consequences and ultimately will make sure that she's okay. And with that, she echoes these words. I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. She goes, Lord, whatever it is, I submit. Your will, not my will. Your plans, not my plans. Whatever this is, Lord, let it all come true. And with those words, Christmas came to the world. With her saying yes to God's plans, even though they were scary, even though they didn't make sense, this world was changed forever. And so was her life. So what's practical? Every week at DHC, we put this word up on the screen because we want to make sure that you can leave here on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So this week, I only have one practical for you, and it's this. I would challenge you to release your grip. 
I think every single one of us, even Christians in the room, I think we have such a tight grip on our life. We try to maintain such close control of everything we do. We lay out our plans step by step. I want to do this. I want to do this. I want this to happen. I want this to happen. I want to be here. I want to meet this person. Why do we do this? I think because we are dying for the assurance that we're going to be okay, that we're going to be safe, that the future is bright, and ultimately that we're in control. But I think if we believe that we can control our lives, if, if we believe that we think that we're going to make everything okay in the future, I, I just think we're kidding ourselves. Scripture's clear. There's really only one way to have assurance that all is going to be okay. It's to say yes to God, to say yes to Jesus. Paul, in a verse that we quote all the time, one of the New Testament authors says it like this. We know that God makes all things every single thing, work together for the good of those who love him and are chosen to be a part of his plan. He's saying, I don't know what's going on in your life right now, good, bad, or indifferent. I don't know where God has brought you. I don't know if it's a horrendously dark place, but I can tell you this, God can work it together for good. Whatever is happening in your life right now, you say yes to Jesus, you can have the assurance that God is going to work it out. You can have the assurance that your future is bright, your plans are good, and God is going to keep you safe. Mary believed that. She trusted God, and she handed her life over to him, and everything was changed because she embraced an interruption. So I would just challenge you today, I don't know what's happening in your life, I don't know what curveball was thrown at you, but I would challenge you to embrace the interruption. You could change the world. You could certainly change your life. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity to come here today. Lord, so many of us are, we had a plan for our lives and and how we wanted things to go. And now we found ourselves in a place that we thought we'd never be in. Maybe we don't understand what's going on. We, we, we don't understand why you brought us here. We don't understand what your plan is through this. But I just pray that today, Lord, you would bring us clarity. Lord, that you would give us the strength by the power of your Holy Spirit to submit to you. To say, Lord, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I wouldn't have asked for it. This is not how I saw things going. But I trust you. Your will, not my will. Lord, right now I just know that there's someone in this room going through something that is breaking their heart. And I pray that today you would touch them. Lord, that your spirit would be a bomb in their life. That they would know that even though that things feel out of control, out of our control, Lord, that you know exactly what's going on. 
that since the creation of this world, you knew this would happen. And Lord, if they say yes to Jesus, Lord, that today they can have the assurance to know that even in this time, you can make this turn out for our good. To make us the person that you need us to be. And in this moment to bring glory to you, to bring light to the name of Jesus, and through this interruption, Lord, whatever that is, to allow it to change the world around us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.